Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey there, Bev. What you drinking today? I bet I can guess, but I'm going to let you tell us. So it is, it, it is derived from a bean. <laughs> <laughs> bean water. <laughs> <laughs> it's coffee. I was going to try to think of a really clever way to say that, you know, really fancily, but forget it. It's, it, it's beans that were ground and then had water forced through it. And it makes a delicious potion that turns me from a tired witch to this. A magical fairy. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you drinking over there? I am drinking out of our Give Zero Clucks Zero Sudley Pint. Mm. Shameless plug. Decaf iced coffee with some whole milk. But also I changed up the creamer. It's glazed donut creamer. Yum. Yes, it is very good. <laughs> very artificial, but very good. Sometimes you just need a little of that. Just, just a smidge, just a smidge. So I actually bought something yesterday from Amazon. It is non-dairy Snickers creamer. So I will be giving that a try on the podcast. I'll let everybody know what I think. My mother-in-law loves it and says it is delicious. So I'm going to give it a try because I wouldn't mind, you know, fancying up my coffee just a little bit. I tend to be kind of particular when it comes to flavors though, and how things are sweetened. So we'll see if I like them. I'm starting off with the smallest pack that they'll let me buy on Amazon. It's probably still too many, (laughs) but (laughs) I can send them to my mother-in-law if I don't like them. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And then you'll get brownie points. That's right. (laughs) Can't go wrong with that. (laughs) No. Our drink peep this episode is our friend Ashley Kiernan, and she is at Ashley Kiernan over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. All right. So I am so excited about today. Can I just say it? We haven't done anything like this in so long, and we're going to do it with two guys today. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to interview the guys from Groverly Farms. Get your minds out of the gutter. Good gravy. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we haven't done an interview in a while. And we really haven't done an interview in a while with the guys from Groverly Farms, Sean and Patrick, the founders. And it's been four years since we've talked to them. So we'll link to the show notes if you want to way throw back. But we're going to talk to them today about where Grubbly Farms is now even some kind of just general information for those of you that haven't heard that first interview, but we wanted to rehash some of that to see if they told the story differently. And we did learn some new fun things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We actually learned a lot of new fun things. So if you have been listening to our Grubbly's commercials, because Grubbly Farms has been a huge supporter of the show, like since day one and wondered like why insect protein, like what makes insect protein different? Cause like, let's, 
let's face it, like we can only get so much information out to you in a 30 second or 60 second bite. In this interview, we really deep dive into like what black soldier fly grubs are, how they're raised, you know, what you can compare their protein to and things like that. And also, you know, like how they develop their products. And there's some sneak peeks into some super secret information that I'm surprised they're not going to have to kill us now to stop us from (laughs) releasing it into the world. So yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Yes. So uh, yeah, without further ado, here we go. So welcome, Sean and Patrick. We're super excited to have you on again. It's been a couple of years. <laughs> so welcome back. Thank you. Pleasure to be back. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. All right. So for our listeners that didn't get a chance to listen to all the way back to Minnesota number four, the first time we interviewed you both, can you give us some background on how Grubbly's farms got started and your relationship with each other? Yeah. So uh, Patrick and I are actually cousins and have been more or less best friends since the age of six or seven when he moved in about a mile from our childhood house. And throughout college, we actually lived together for a number of years. So you know, naturally, I think forming a company was just part of the, the friendship that we had. But Grubbly really started in college. It was during our last semester at Georgia Tech, and I read an article about the insect industry and just became fascinated with the overarching concept. And I somehow convinced Patrick to uh, help her, like, actually look at pursuing this full time. And Patrick was actually the one who encouraged us to buy some grubs off of Amazon. And we actually started (laughs) breeding the insects in our laundry room at Georgia Tech. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember that story. That is so amazing. But I cannot recall. Was it your own laundry room or was it like a shared laundry room? Yeah, no, it was, I guess it was shared between the two of us, but that was it. We did actually have to take the entire setup down one day um, and throw it on our balcony for a couple hours because we had an uh, HVAC inspection. So we had this huge fly fly net. Uh, we took it all down and then put it under like a tarp over in the deck or patio area. They came, did their stuff, didn't suspect anything. And we threw it all back up and they were, they're perfectly fine. <laughs> That's good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can only imagine how stressful that would have been. <laughs> we're just nervous about getting fined right oh yeah yeah because they probably had like a no pets clause right and they're like what do we do with twenty thousand pets or no or no pests clause. yeah or no pests yeah <laughs> that's probably more like it <laughs> So you guys formed Grubbly Farms and we've touched on the fact that they're um, black soldier fly grubs. Can you tell us a little bit like about the insect and like why you went with black soldier fly grubs for Grubbly Farms? Yeah. So the three main insects you would read about if you look at the farming of insects are typically black soldier flies, mealworms, or crickets. And I would say This doesn't cover 100%, but generally speaking, a lot of cricket farms are targeting more of human consumption, where a lot of mealworms and soldier flies are targeting more of animal consumption. So we really kind of looked at them all very briefly at the beginning and ultimately landed on the black soldier fly for a couple different reasons. One, the grub itself of the soldier fly can actually eat twice its body weight a day, which is absolutely incredible. And one of the main reasons why they are considered the piranha of the insect world, that they can also eat a very wide stream of waste. And then it also came down to the life cycle. 
that the grub for the soldier fly you typically grow for you know about 14 days before processing them into fats and proteins compared to mealworms which i am not an expert on them but i believe it is closer to you know the 40 or 50 day mark so a longer turnaround time but these soldier flies can also be grown at even higher densities in like a per square foot basis so if you're just looking at the amount of protein that you can grow either in a per square foot or per acre basis uh, it's really hard to beat the soldier fly when uh, even looking at the other insects. Okay, that totally makes sense to me. The one other thing that is really unique about the soldier fly is that they're considered grass, which is G-R-A-S, generally recognized as safe. So the soldier fly actually does not bite, it doesn't sting, and it doesn't transmit any known disease to humans, uh, unlike the house fly, which actually is considered a pest species because it can transmit diseases. So you know, that's just another benefit of the soldier fly. It actually originated in North America, but is now spread around the world and found on every continent, but it is considered a non-invasive species. So it is, uh, the, the nutrient density is there, but it's also uh, beneficial to the planet as well. Oh, that's awesome. So like if something were to ever happen, like at one of the facilities where they are raised, it wouldn't necessarily be uh, an environmental disaster because suddenly there's, you know, this invasive pest that's not from here suddenly, you know, introduced into the flora and then it, you know, could wreak all sorts of havoc. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So with how many grubs you can fit into a small amount of space. Do you guys have an idea of how many grubs you're you're in possession of at the moment? Or is that hard to kind of nail down? <laughs> that That is hard to uh, nail down. You know, I think the mature grub alive is, I believe, 0.2 grams. But it really does vary from farm to farm where uh, different farms will harvest the grubs at slightly different stages. And that's where you can actually get diff- slightly different nutrient levels that the grub, the closer it gets to more or less metamorphosis, where it kind of turns into the equivalent of the cocoon uh, for a caterpillar it will build up a higher fat content to actually go through that metamorphous phase. So you can harvest them a little earlier if you want higher protein, a little later if you want higher fat. So it kind of does vary from farm to farm itself. That's interesting. So that means that you can choose what stage of their development you want to have them harvested on based on what the purpose is of their protein. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That's really neat. So we've talked a little bit about raising the grubs, but can you tell us a little bit about like the facilities that you use to raise them in? Like how, how exactly do you house them? Yeah. So, you know, when we started off jumping from the laundry room, we eventually went to a small greenhouse in my parents' backyard and then a partnered with Kennesaw State University in a small greenhouse on some of their farmland. And we really realized as we started building larger and larger uh, facilities that, you know, these what are called commercial facilities, you know, they have the same robotic and AI technology that you might see in like a Tesla facility where there's robots moving these crates of bugs around. The entire feeding process is automated. The entire harvesting process is automated. So it's really taking, you know, what biology perfected as far as the actual insect itself and modernizing the farming aspect and bringing it into the 21st century. So a lot of these facilities can have the ability to recycle hundreds of tons of food waste every single day using these bugs. And, you know, I, this varies 
farm to farm, but it can range in the billions of actual insects at a single location, uh, recycling this food waste and being processed into fats and proteins. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. So when we're talking about a grub farm, we're not talking like rolling hills and, you know, like <laughs> when you're- Like when you're, landfills. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, they look much more like the, the vertical farms that you see that are being built uh, like closer to cities that produce leafy greens and things like that. Okay. Okay. That's really cool. So there's actually a strategic reason why you build them that way and close to cities, right? So you talked about food waste and whatnot. So ha- tell us a little bit about where the food waste comes from that these grubs eat. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you can grow the grubs at any scale. So you can have a smaller operation in the rolling hills, but, you know, when really trying to compete with some of the more traditional proteins, it really becomes optimized at certain scales. So a lot of these commercial facilities are built kind of on the outskirts of larger metropolitan areas. And many of them partner with either food processing facilities or you know, even spent brewery grains can be a good feedstock for the grubs themselves. So it's really trying to maximize the amount of food waste that you can get from a single location to minimize the transport back to the actual insect growing facility. We uh, are we're very picky with picking the farms that we work with to make sure that we're offering the highest quality ingredients. So all the farms that we work with are only limited to uh, feeding their insects pre-consumer food waste. That is food waste that has yet to interact with the consumer versus post-consumer And that helps with both the traceability, but also limiting any potential contaminations along the way. And all of our bugs are also raised off of a non-meat diet. So it is fruits, veggies, and grains as the primary source of nutrients that they're raised off of. Okay, that's really cool. So in case anybody didn't catch that, basically like a packaging facility for say fruit, you know, they they can't use the core and the stem and the heel or of, you know, whatever the fruit is that they process. So most of the time that stuff just gets dumped essentially if there's not a second product they can make out of it. And so that would mean that it would just go to the landfill. And can you tell us a little bit about why you don't want that food waste to go to a landfill, why it's better to divert it to an insect farm, so to speak? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so the re- reason why the, the whole food waste aspect is super interesting to us for, from a sustainability perspective um, is because when food waste goes to landfills, it uh, breaks down into methane gas, which is a greenhouse gas that's about 20 times more harmful than CO2. So Pretty much, if you've ever seen a landfill, they often either like burn methane coming out of it or try to mitigate it in some way, shape, or form. But it certainly is a lot better to actually utilize utilize the the food scraps in a beneficial way like this by upcycling it into useful proteins again. Awesome, that is so cool. Do the black soldier fly grubs have any? Can you do anything with their waste? Because I'm assuming they have like excrement or something to that effect. I'm thinking of like, you know, uh, like worm castings or something like that. Yeah. So it's called FRASS, F-R-A-S-S, and it's very similar to worm castings. But yeah, as the grubs eat through the food waste, they break it down into a quality fertilizer that can be used at either the like home gardening stage or even at the commercial process uh, scale as well. Oh, that's awesome. So your guys's black salt or well, so I'm assuming you contract to some farms to do the raising of the black soldier fly grub. So is there a Grubly Farms frass product coming out <laughs> in the future or do you let those farms do that 
on their individual level? <laughs> uh, we have discussed that a lot internally. And, you know, for new product development, we always love listening to the customers. But I, I really think it's on the horizon at some point. I think it kind of tells, uh, ties the story together. And the real benefit is that a lot of chicken owners are also very into gardening. So I, I do think there is that the benefit there. Uh, but as of right now, we are still trying to figure out what that timeline would really look like. Ooh, awesome. So we got like a little sneak peek right there. <laughs> <laughs> a little insider information. Right. <laughs> so what's it been like to break into the industrial agricultural market? Like, how has that been going? What have the barriers been? Because I'm assuming there have been barriers, but it's a pretty big market. So what's that been like for, for you guys? When we first got started off, we did originally look at more of large-scale farms. Uh, we spoke to some large poultry farms and large aquaculture farms. And we quickly realized that just the sheer amount of protein that they use is a barrier of entry. And ultimately, that is mm. how we really found the backyard chicken market and dove headfirst into it and really started educating ourselves around it. And honestly, just fell in love with the industry as a whole and the customer base there. And, you know, we, I think down the road, there might be an opportunity more on the human consumption side. But right now, our entire focus is on animals and it really is focusing on the pet industry which will help scale the insect industry to potentially get to the point where it can really start targeting more of the livestock industry. Yeah, that's really awesome. So, um tell us a little bit about what the livestock industry uses instead or some of the livestock industry uses instead for their protein and why it could fit into a future grubbly farms, you know, vision to eventually get into that market if you did go that direction? Certainly. So some uh, mass market agriculture or uh, commercial farming typically uses things like soy and corn as their main sources of, of food stocks. And really the name of the game for, for them is the lowest price or lowest cost formulation. So uh, if they can save a penny per ton on making chicken feed, they absolutely will. Even if it's to the detriment of the overall chicken's health, in particular for broilers, um, since they don't live to be too terribly long, they're not very concerned in the long-term health of the birds. They're very interested in the short-term profits that they can make on the animals. So corn and soy are, are not supernatural foods for, for chickens. Um, they, they wouldn't be picking off corn or soybeans if they were to walk through the field. But what is very natural is grubs. And that's why that's the entire thesis of probably farms for, for chickens is that it's the most natural food source for them. So why not feed them that way? Even then, when you get into the higher end chicken, particularly if, and it's still in commercial farming, they're using fish meal as their source of protein, which truly makes no sense. And, and it oftentimes can have a negative impact on the taste of the eggs or or if you are, in fact, eating the, eating the bird itself, it can have a, a negative impact on the, the taste of the meat. And then can actually impart somewhat somewhat of a fishy flavor on them. So the grub does not impart impart any negative flavor. Again, it's a very natural source for the chickens and, and they thrive on it. So we, we believe that that insects are a, a much better source of protein and, and source of nutrition for chickens rather than the conventional soys and corns of the world. It totally makes sense about fish. I had not thought of that because have you ever taken like a fish oil supplement for your health? <laughs> <laughs> fish burps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can feel it coming out of my skin. <laughs> oh, 
yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned natural ingredients being part of your criteria for some of your product lines. What other criteria do you focus on when you're deciding what your next product is? Uh, absolutely. So there's there's a lot that we take into consideration when launching a new product. First and foremost, we want to know if it's something that the cost, that people actually buy and enjoy. So one of the things that, that we always look at doing is having all of our products be functional. So don't just sell products or sell food products just for the sake of, of letting something eat. We always want there to be a, an actual benefit to, to our products. And so that guides a lot of the ingredient decision-making as to what we put in there. We also really focus on just the overall nutrition and health of the animals that we serve and how, how we can best uh, enable their health via our products. So when we go into product design, so while, while Sean and I were most passionate about sustainability, if something does not meet the nutritional requirements for whatever animal you're serving, nobody's going to buy it. And that's, that's totally fair. Like I'm not going to cardboard recyclable. I'm not going to feed cardboard to my dog because it's not healthy <laughs> for it. For them. So first and foremost, we need to make sure that our products are, are nutritional, healthy, and promote the, the healthiest lifestyle from a nutrition standpoint that we can for, for whatever animal we're serving. And then we look at sustainability as, as a second thing. So once we've decided what ingredients make the most sense from a health standpoint, we then look at it from a sustainability standpoint and make sure that whatever ingredients we're using or the ingredients that we're sourcing do fit into the overall narrative of our sustainability mission and not only that, we also believe in a constant iterative approach to, to everything. We know we can't get things 100% right on the first go. And not only that, things change and new technologies open up, new things are brought to light. So we're constantly looking at ways to just improve our products, improve sustainability of our products, improve the nutrition of our products. Um, and we're just never satisfied with, with whatever the status quo is, so to speak. I love that so much because so many times businesses can get caught up in making the product and then it's done. And then if like by some chance, new technology comes out or new information comes to light about an ingredient or anything like that, instead of making a pivot and saying, oh, well, now we have this new information. So we need to change the formula in this way because of, you know, X, they double down on it. Like they've never made a mistake before or like, you know, they have to hold true to this because that was what they started to. But the truth is, is when you're developing a product, you should go through different versions and iterations of it because that means that you're always innovating. Yeah. And there's, there's always room to learn. There's always new studies coming out. And if people didn't innovate in the products, then probably, and, and if customers weren't willing to go along with innovation for new products, for healthier products, more sustainable products, there wouldn't even be a, a grubby pharmacy here. So we're, we're really happy that there are so many people who also support our, our belief mission that, that we should be creating products that are not only healthy for the animals, but also healthy for the environment and that you can always do a better job no matter what. So tell us a little bit about one of the ways that you decide what you're going to actually produce. So right now you guys have the, so actually what came first? It was the Grubbly Snack came first and then Grubbly Speed. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the chicken or the egg. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was, well, <laughs> so we've, we've been with Grubbly Farms for so long uh, that sometimes I forget that there wasn't always speed. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so there's, so there's the chicken snack, there's the chicken feed, and now we have roomies, which is the dog snack. So tell us a little bit about how you decide what you're going to develop as a new product. So that largely does come down to uh, customer feedback. And I think we've always had the vision of really being able to simplify our products into two categories, the snack line and the fully formulated feed line, really just to, again, provide the health, but also on the snack side, it's really uh, encourage the engagement with the chickens. A lot of people use the grublies to get their chickens in and out of the coops. Uh, some people have even said their chickens either recognize the color of the bag or hear the shaking of the bag and they'll just come running. So uh, I do think, you know, really leaning into that is going to be key. But as far as kind of the new products, you know, that does come down to listening to our customers, trying to figure out, you know, is there either a tweak to a current product that we have or a brand new product that we could launch? And then, you know, really looking at kind of the long-term vision, we also work closely and uh, speak with the USDA and the FDA on the actual approval process for insect ingredients being used in animal feed. So, you know, as an example, the AFCO, AAFCO, it's an independent organization that works closely with the FDA. They actually approved insects for use of feed for dog food in August of 2021. So that is really why we ended up moving forward with the Vroomies launch for the dog snack. And, you know, they're currently evaluating information for cats as well as a handful of other animals. And the big question isn't if it will be approved, but more so when will it be approved? Because most European countries have already approved grub protein and dog, cat, you know, pig, goat, a handful of different animals in the U.S. I like to say is, you know, unfortunately, two or three years behind on the actual approval process. So our goal is to really remain an innovator in the space, continuing to launch new products. But I would say as far as the timeline of that, it really does come down to the customer that, you know, we're always looking for either, either improvements that can be made on our current product or brand new products that will be coming out in the future. Oh, I'm so excited to hear that cats have been on your radar because I would have <laughs> never described myself as a crazy cat lady, but I just took a new one to the vet this morning. <laughs> so they are very quickly collecting in my barn. Multiplying. Yes. <laughs> not not multiplying naturally. They just show up. That's what, that's what happens. <laughs> My cat ladiness is is rubbing off on you. I think yes, <laughs> it is. And I was I was giving the new kitten a treat, and I was like, gosh, I wish I had a grubbly treat to give this or a snack to give this <laughs> kitten. <laughs> We'll get there uh, sooner or later and and really does come down to the timeline for that approval. But yeah, we really do look forward to expanding that just because, you know, a lot of chicken owners also have traditional pets like dogs and cats and then let alone, you know, either or farm animals or even more on the exotic for like reptiles or amphibians as well. Yeah. And, and I love that, that, and sometimes I mix it up on accident and say treat, but I actually love that you use snack as the way to describe it because the way that you formulate your products really is more focused on the health and well being of the animal, but also while still being enjoyable to both the animal and the human. So snack really is the right term because it's not like giving them candy. It's like giving them carrots and ranch. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that wasn't a good analogy. No, I mean, I I think that hit the nail on the head because, you know, that was really the the large push for calling them snacks, that we didn't want them to be, you know, they aren't the candy or the Oreo. It's that that it actually is beneficial to the, the pet. Yeah. 
Uh, and I and I will and I will divulge a little secret. I have so many ducks here that I keep running out of duck feed. So I actually just gave them a bag of grublays for one of their meals once. They thought it was the greatest <laughs> thing ever, and I was like, "They'll be fine. It's you know, it's, there's nothing bad in it." But I do need to go get your real food, so I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I I will attest to the what you were saying about the chickens recognizing the bag. Uh, I keep the grubbly snack bags on my porch. And if a chicken finds one, they will go and peck a hole into the bag and start eating out of it that way. So I think mine are uh, customers for life. That's for sure. (laughs) Great to hear. (laughs) We've trained ours really well. (laughs) (laughs) So we have touched a little bit on this, but what else would you say sets Grubly Farms apart from other items that are on the market for chickens? You know, we talked about how it's bug protein and how it's more focused, snack focused instead of treat focused. But what else would you guys say really sets you apart? I would say it largely is the the nutrients in the sense that really trying to formulate a diet that is as close to a natural diet as possible. And that is both a combination of on the formulation side, making sure that we're using all of the proper ingredients, but then on the sourcing side, you know, we want to offer the highest quality ingredients to our customers. So we're picky with who we work with. So, you know, there are insect farms around the world that you know, as I mentioned, the benefit of the soldier fly is it can eat such a wide variety of waste streams. But the hindrance there is that you can find a farm that, uh, you know, could be growing their insects off of animal manure. And while I think there's certainly applications for that, while we're focusing on the pet industry, we do want to, again, offer that high quality ingredient. So that's where we do limit how the insects are grown and make sure that they're all going through the proper pathogen testing or heavy metal testing where if there is any issue there, you know, we can go back to our supplier that has a high traceability and figure out you know, where that potential contamination came from. That's really good to hear because there, there are contamination issues within the supply chain, whether it's the supply chain of, you know, what's being fed to, you know, the things that create food for food. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's important to know where it came from so that it can be stopped and so that those products don't end up going out into the market and re- wreaking more havoc. Exactly. So we talked a little bit about how you make decisions about which product is next, but the dog treats thing felt so exciting to me. And I know to Bev too, because we're dog people, you probably saw my yeah. My dog sitting on the couch participating in the interview silently. <laughs> he's he's one of our pup producers here. So what are some of the benefits of using insect protein in a dog treat? Yeah, so insect protein is really uh really interesting for dogs because it is uh hypoallergenic. It's it's a novel protein and as we keep feeding dogs the same thing over and over again, they become sensitive to more conventional sources of protein like chicken or beef. And that's why you're starting to see some dog foods that have like kangaroo or alligator or venison, which, you know, as cool as that might sound, it just feels weird that that's what we're going to be stretching towards to feed our dogs. And insects seemed like a very natural progression for us to, to feed our dogs. But Sean, I have dogs. Lots of people in our company have dogs. of our customers have dogs. And so from a new product standpoint, it made a lot of sense just that that was going to be the next animal that we did. 
the regulations lined up um, accordingly as well. But I also believe that, that insects provide a really unique uh, value to dogs by providing animal-based proteins in a sustainable manner and in hypo, hypoallergenic manner because they've never been had an opportunity to become allergic to, to these sources of protein like they have in, in more conventional sources. And it, even though the insect is small, I would say try to almost view it as another animal protein where it's like you have different cuts from like beef. You could have your ribs, your steaks. So, I mean, with the insect itself, there are micronutrients that are within the insect, aside from just the proteins and fats that are, in fact, beneficial to not only dogs, but a ton of other animals as well. So, you know, with that, we're looking at additional products that will have more targeted uh, assistance where the roomies right now are for hip and joint health. But as Patrick mentioned, with the hypoallergenic side, uh, it's also beneficial for dogs with sensitive stomachs. There are certain properties that offer skin and coat health as well. So we can lean into some of the different micro properties of the insect really catering towards specific needs that some of these dogs are running into currently. Oh, yeah, because I mean, I have multiple dogs here and I have one with hip and joint problems, but then I have another one that does have hair and coat problems. And it probably is an allergic reaction to whatever it is that she's eating because it just kind of ended up developing over time. Uh, and I, and I think a lot of dog owners can, can relate with that. Yeah. And that's actually, uh, really what you just said is, was a, a learning for us and it kind of sounds like a no brainer, but when it's laid out, most people feed their chickens as a flock. Versus if you have dogs and cats, a lot of time it is looking at the dog or cat as an individual and saying, you know, what do you specifically need? Where you might need one food that is hypoallergenic, one food for sensitive stomachs, one food for skin and coat. So, you know, we're trying to take that into consideration as we do go through the product development for future products as well. That's really neat. I wanted to know if there was a difference from a nutritional standpoint in protein that is derived from an animal source, say, or an insect source. Because people always think of an insect source as saying as being like vegetarian or vegan, but it's really not. It's another animal, right? I'm trying to figure out how to formulate that question so that it makes sense. I mean, you are correct that you know animal protein is different than plant protein. While there are a lot of similarities there. Generally speaking, and this kind of varies from what animal and what plant, but generally speaking, uh, animal proteins are denser and they do have slightly different properties. You know, I will say you I'm sure you've seen the vegetarian fed chickens and it's like, well, okay, you know, I don't think a chicken is naturally a vegetarian and kind of similar (laughs) with traditional pets where a dog technically can actually survive off of a vegetarian diet. I would maybe make the argument that it is not necessarily natural and you could probably provide an additional diet, but cats actually need meat in their diet. They need different micronutrients that cannot be found in plant proteins and that if you actually fed a cat a vegetarian diet, it would actually slowly starve to death. So I am all for, you know, the kelp farms, the algae farms, a lot of these new, more, still more sustainable plant proteins. But our goal is really how do we take what nature perfected and utilize this higher density animal protein in pet and animal feed so that we can redistribute, you know, what we're currently harvesting right now, the traditional proteins toward human consumption. That's really cool. So just to reiterate, a grub protein, the black soldier fly grub protein would be an animal protein from a macronutrient standpoint. It's not 
it's not switching to a vegetarian or a vegan diet for these animals that just cannot survive on that's correct. that type of diet. Okay. That's really cool. Learn something new every day. <laughs> Learning lots of new things today. I feel like, <laughs> right. <laughs> so does the size of the animal or the size of the dog, like how does that correlate with the amount of protein that a grub can provide? So I guess it's, it's not, the amount of protein that it's, it's similar to anything else. Like it's the volume that, that you would adjust. So certainly like there's uh, specialties for small breed or large breed or puppy or senior that, and those that's where like the actual dog food should have a very amount of protein to fit that either breed size or, or age needs or, or an active dog diet should have a higher protein diet than probably a pug should get. But really the, the insect itself would not change. It's just the quantity that, that you feed. So like my dog weighs about 70, 75 pounds. He eats four cups of food a day versus Sean's dog weighs about 50 pounds and eats two to three cups of food a day. Roughly the same protein in both foods. It's just a, a matter of the quantity that, that they eat. So, and also similarly speaking, like um, for the, the Vroomies treats, for example, like my dog will eat and can very safely eat eight, eight or so snacks a day. A 20 pound dog should probably not eat eight snacks a day because that would that would all of a sudden contain a much larger percentage of their diet. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm sure a 20 pound dog would like to try, but it's just not a good idea. <laughs> Note to all: when I run out of dog breed, don't just dump the Brumies bag into this. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say is the long-term goal or mission for Grubbly Farms? We've talked a lot about sustainability and health for pets. What are you guys really focusing on right now? So I guess our mission is to create the most sustainable and healthiest pet food under the sun. I guess that is our, our guiding factor overall. Certainly, and, and kind of like I said before, uh, the reason why I don't just say the most sustainable pet food under the sun is because... We, you need it to make, meet those nutritional requirements or excel in the nutritional requirements for it to actually be a viable product and source of, of food. It can't just be sustainable. Which, so we want to produce something that is as absolutely sustainable as it possibly can be and keep improving upon that to make everything more sustainable, but also make sure that it is the one of the healthiest foods that we possibly can create for, for whatever animal we're doing it for. And I was just going to add on to that, that as we, you know, as we expand our product line into additional markets, you know, our goal is to really make a large impact within the pet food space. And a statistic that a lot of people don't realize is how much meat uh, dogs and cats in the United States actually eat, that they actually account for about 25% of the meat consumed in the United States. And if they were their own country, they would actually be ranked fifth in the world on meat consumption. So you know, wow. as we start looking at these future products, it's really how do we empower the customer so that they can make that daily decision that's not just beneficial to the pet, but beneficial to the planet and moving toward kind of that overarching uh, sustainable goal. Yeah, I really love that because when you're thinking about how you want to feed your pets, I think sometimes we forget about how the choices we make in that can affect all of these other things down the line, you know, you're walking down the aisle and it's just dog food or chicken feed or whatever. But when we can change the way that we're feeding them to a more sustainable way that opens up, you know, our country and, and the world to be able to use those resources for 
meat production that is for other uses rather than pets. And, and when we have more black soldier fly grubs on the planet, diverting food waste from the different facilities, you know, whether it's pre-consumer or post-consumer, depending on what the grubs are being used for, then we're also stopping that methane from ending up being you know, created by the landfill and we get to create a, a fertilizer for the garden with their waste. It's, it's all connected in a really big way. And, and it's easy to forget that. It's, we like to say the grubs have the ability to kind of close the loop on the agricultural system, that they recycle a lot of the leftovers and create a new upcycled input to feed the next generation moving forward. That is so cool. I just have like the circle of life song stuck in my head now <laughs> listening to that conversation because <laughs> really it is very circular. And like you said, it closes the gap. So yeah, I think, you know, that can be an unofficial because it's copyrighted theme song of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can't play a clip on it. We don't have the rights. <laughs> no, we'll get in trouble. <laughs> so is there anything else that our listeners should know about Grubbly Farms that we didn't cover so far? We always love to hear feedback from our customers, regardless of what it is, positive or negative, whether it's related to new products, current products, how we can improve our services. Um, we always want to hear the feedback. That's how we can become the best version of ourselves. And that's how we can best support our customers' goals and support their needs going forward. But aside from that, I guess people can find us at grublyfarms.com. If you haven't ordered before, you can get 25% off your first order when you sign up for emails on our website. And you can also get a 10% discount whenever you sign up for a subscription. That's right. And you guys have social media channels too, at Grubbly Farms on Instagram, at Grubbly Farms on Facebook. And you guys have a TikTok also. I have been following it. I'm tiptoeing <laughs> into TikTok. <laughs> it's not my generation, clearly, but I'm trying. <laughs> uh, I've not quite made the plunge personally into TikTok, but there there's, does seem to be some fairly entertaining content on there. And there there's a whole <laughs> like, chickens of TikTok tag that, that all is pretty funny. And I may have to actually join, hop on that bandwagon with, with my chicks now. I was, just, I was just watching one over here and I was watching it like scratch its head like a dog. And I was like, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's TikTok gold right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We both learned something new. And I know that our listeners learned something new. And hopefully we'll get to chat again, not four years in the future. Because <laughs> this podcast is is hanging around and doing its thing. And, and so is Grubbly Farms, which is really cool. <laughs> uh, we'd be more than happy to. Yeah. And thank you so much for the invite. It was our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that was fun. Yes. I forgot how much I enjoyed doing interviews. Interviews can be a little intimidating, but they're a lot of fun. It's neat to kind of mix up the information and the voices on the show. I agree. I think the last one we did was with uh, Kendra from Meyer Hatchery. And that was like, whew, that was last fall. Yeah. So it, and it's fun now, too, because we get to Zoom and see people's faces while we talk with them, which also adds a different level of intimidation, I think. Because <laughs> it's like, I'm not just listening to you on the phone. Like I'm, I'm staring in your face while you're blowing my mind with all this information. And they are so much smarter than me. 
in very different <laughs> ways than I am smart. I could probably just, you know, when I'm not knocked up anymore, grab a beer with them and talk for hours about stuff that I know nothing about. Just And it's just fascinating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we did. Come join our Facebook group and tell us what thing from the interview was most surprising or like blew your mind the most. Because for myself, there were a lot of moments where it's just kind of like, oh, oh, yeah. And it just kind of like started making my brain turn over. Yeah. Light bulbs are going off. My brain was churning. It was a really cool experience. So I hope you guys got as much out of that as we did. (laughs) Yeah. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave us a review. We're going to read one Apple podcast review a week. We don't have one this week, but we are recording this one a little early. So if you did leave one, we're going to get to it. We promise. But if you are new here and haven't left us one, you can leave us a review over on Apple podcast. And we read one of those when we have them. And then every one that we read for the month, we do a drawing at the end of the month. And we give away an exclusive coffee mug to the winner that is not and never will be in the shop. Yep. And if you would, please, we would love it if you sent this episode to a friend or shared it over on your Instagram. And I'm sure the folks at Gravely Farms would love it if you did that as well. We'd love to get you know the word out on all of this cool stuff that we talked about in this interview today. And so you sharing that is an excellent way to help us do that. And also as a bonus, if you share it on Instagram and tag us at Drink and Farm, we're going to send you a promo code just for this episode. That'll give you a percentage off in our merch shop. And we've got some pretty cool merch right now. I secretly put some stuff in there. I forgot to tell Sam. So there's some <laughs> I guess cool I better go look. <laughs> stuff that Sam hasn't even seen. <laughs> I mean, by the time this drops, I will have seen it. And our June shirt of the month will be out by then too. That's right. So just go look and see. Because like, we never know when we're going to even surprise each other with these things. (laughs) Like, oh, this is cute. That was super curious. Okay. (laughs) So just to wrap up so I can go look at those things, because now I'm dying to see what's in there. Make sure you take a look at the show notes. You're going to find information that'll be pertinent to this episode. So some links to the grubbly stuff, a survey where you can tell us how we're doing, our social media, and that merch shop. Yeah. And you can get to our show notes super easily by going to drinkandfarm.com slash 205. That'll get you there. So that's it. Yep. And until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye now. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and